The Toys of Peace and Other Papers by Saki. Read by Richard Crowest. Quail Seed. The outlook is not encouraging for us smaller businesses, said Mr. Scarrick to the artist and his sister who had taken rooms over his suburban grocery store. These big concerns are offering all sorts of attractions to the shopping public which we couldn't afford to imitate, even on a small scale. Reading rooms and playrooms and gramophones and heaven knows what. People don't care to buy half a pound of sugar nowadays unless they can listen to Harry Lauder and have the latest Australian cricket scores ticked off before their eyes. With the big Christmas stock we've got in, we ought to keep half a dozen assistants hard at work. But as it is, my nephew Jimmy and myself can pretty well attend to it ourselves. It's a nice stock of goods, too, if I could only run it off in a few weeks' time, but there's no chance of that. Not unless the London line was to get snowed up for a fortnight before Christmas. I did have a sort of idea of engaging Miss Luffcombe to give recitations during afternoons. She made a great hit at the post office entertainment with her rendering of Little Beatrice's Resolve. Anything less likely to make your shop a fashionable shopping centre, I can't imagine, said the artist with a very genuine shudder. If I were trying to decide between the merits of Carlsbad plums and confected figs as a winter dessert, it would infuriate me to have my train of thought entangled with little Beatrice's resolve to be an angel of light or a girl scout. No, he continued, the desire to get something thrown in for nothing is a ruling passion with the feminine shopper, but you can't afford to pander effectively to it. Why not appeal to another instinct which dominates not only the woman shopper but the male shopper? In fact, the entire human race. What is that instinct, sir? said the grocer. Mrs. Grays and Miss Fritton had missed the 2.18 to town, and as there was not another train till 3.12, they thought that they might as well make their grocery purchases at Scarrick's. It would not be sensational, they agreed, but it would still be shopping. For some minutes they had the shop almost to themselves, as far as customers were concerned, but while they were debating the respective virtues and blemishes of two competing brands of anchovy paste, they were startled by an order given across the counter for six pomegranates and a packet of quail seed. Neither commodity was in general demand in that neighbourhood. Equally unusual was the style and appearance of the customer, about sixteen years old, with dark olive skin, large dusky eyes, and thick, low-growing, blue-black hair. He might have made his living as an artist's model. As a matter of fact, he did. The bowl of beaten brass that he produced for the reception of his purchases was distinctly the most astonishing variation on the string, bag, or marketing basket of suburban civilization that his fellow shoppers had ever seen. He threw a gold piece, apparently of some exotic currency, across the counter, and did not seem disposed to wait for any change that might be forthcoming. "'The wine and figs were not paid for yesterday,' he said. Keep what is over of the money for our future purchases. A very strange-looking boy, said Mrs. Grays interrogatively to the grocer as soon as his customer had left. A foreigner, I believe, said Mr. Scarrick, with a shortness that was entirely out of keeping with his usual communicative manner. I wish for a pound and a half of the best coffee you have, said an authoritative voice a moment or two later.
The speaker was a tall, authoritative-looking man of rather outlandish aspect, remarkable, among other things, for a full black beard worn in a style more in vogue in earlier Syria than in a London suburb of the present day. "'Has a dark-faced boy been here buying pomegranates?' he asked suddenly, as the coffee was being weighed out to him. The two ladies almost jumped on hearing the grocer reply with an unblushing negative. "'We have a few pomegranates in stock,' he continued, "'but there has been no demand for them.' "'My servant will fetch the coffee as usual,' said the purchaser, "'producing a coin from a wonderful metalwork purse.' As an apparent afterthought, he fired out the question, "'Have you perhaps any quail-seed?' "'No,' said the grocer, without hesitation. "'We don't stock it.' "'What will he deny next?' asked Mrs. Grays under her breath. What made it seem so much worse was the fact that Mr. Scarrick had quite recently presided at a lecture on Savonarola.' Turning up the deep astrakhan collar of his long coat, the stranger swept out of the shop with the air, Miss Fritton afterwards described it, of a satrap proroguing a Sanhedrin. Whether such a pleasant function ever fell to a satrap's lot, she was not quite certain, but the simile faithfully conveyed her meaning to a large circle of acquaintances. "'Don't let's bother about the 312, said Mrs. Grays. "'Let's go and talk this over at Laura Lipping's. It's her day.' When the dark-faced boy arrived at the shop next day with his brass marketing bowl, there was quite a fair gathering of customers, most of whom seemed to be spinning out their purchasing operations with the air of people who had very little to do with their time. In a voice that was heard all over the shop, perhaps because everybody was intently listening, he asked for a pound of honey and a packet of quail-seed. "'More quail-seed,' said Miss Fritton. "'Those quails must be voracious, or else it isn't quail-seed at all.' "'I believe it's opium, and the bearded man is a detective,' said Mrs. Grays brilliantly. "'I don't,' said Laura Lipping. "'I'm sure it's something to do with the Portuguese throne.' "'More likely to be a Persian intrigue on behalf of the ex-Shah,' said Miss Fritton. "'The bearded man belongs to the government party. "'The quail-seed is a countersign, of course. "'Persia is almost next door to Palestine, "'and quails come into the Old Testament, you know.' "'Only as a miracle,' said her well-informed younger sister. "'I've thought all along it was part of a love intrigue.' "'The boy who had so much interest and speculation centred on him "'was on the point of departing with his purchases "'when he was waylaid by Jimmy.' the nephew apprentice, who, from his post at the cheese and bacon counter, commanded a good view of the street. "'We have some very fine Jaffa oranges,' he said hurriedly, pointing to a corner where they were stored behind a high rampart of biscuit tins. There was evidently more in the remark than met the ear. The boy flew at the oranges with the enthusiasm of a ferret finding a rabbit family at home after a long day of fruitless subterranean research.' Almost at the same moment the bearded stranger stalked into the shop and flung an order for a pound of dates and a tin of the best Smyrna halver across the counter. The most adventurous housewife in the locality had never heard of halver, but Mr. Scarrick was apparently able to produce the best Smyrna variety of it without a moment's hesitation. "'We might be living in the Arabian Nights,' said Miss Fritton excitedly. "'Hush! Listen!' beseeched Mrs. Grays. "'Has the dark-faced boy of whom I spoke yesterday been here today?' asked the stranger. 
We've had rather more people than usual in the shop today, said Mr. Scarrick, but I can't recall a boy such as you describe. Mrs. Grays and Miss Fritton looked round triumphantly at their friends. It was, of course, deplorable that anyone should treat the truth as an article temporarily and excusably out of stock, but they felt gratified that the vivid accounts they had given of Mr. Scarrick's traffic in falsehoods should receive confirmation at first hand. "'I shall never again be able to believe what he tells me about the absence of colouring matter in the jam,' whispered an aunt of Mrs. Gray's tragically. The mysterious stranger took his departure— Laura Lipping distinctly saw a snarl of baffled rage reveal itself behind his heavy moustache and upturned astrakhan collar. After a cautious interval, the seeker after oranges emerged from behind the biscuit tins, having apparently failed to find any individual orange that satisfied his requirements. He, too, took his departure, and the shop was slowly emptied of its parcel and gossip-laden customers. It was Emily Yawling's day, and most of the shoppers made their way to her drawing-room. To go direct from a shopping expedition to a tea-party was what was known locally as living in a whirl. Two extra assistants had been engaged for the following afternoon, and their services were in brisk demand. The shop was crowded. People bought and bought, and never seemed to get to the end of their lists. Mr. Scarrick had never had so little difficulty in persuading customers to embark on new experiences in grocery wares. Even those women whose purchases were of modest proportions dawdled over them as though they had brutal, drunken husbands to go home to. The afternoon had dragged uneventfully on, and there was a distinct buzz of unpent excitement when a dark-eyed boy carrying a brass bowl entered the shop. The excitement seemed to have communicated itself to Mr. Scarrick, abruptly deserting a lady who was making insincere inquiries about the home life of the Bombay Duck, he intercepted the newcomer on his way to the accustomed counter and informed him, amid a death-like hush, that he had run out of quail seed. The boy looked nervously round the shop and turned hesitatingly to go. He was again intercepted, this time by the nephew, who darted out from behind his counter and said something about a better line of oranges. The boy's hesitation vanished. He almost scuttled into the obscurity of the orange corner. There was an expectant turn of public attention towards the door, and the tall, bearded stranger made a really effective entrance. The aunt of Mrs. Gray's declared afterwards that she found herself subconsciously repeating, "'The Assyrian came down like a wolf on the fold,' under her breath, and she was generally believed.' The newcomer, too, was stopped before he reached the counter, but not by Mr. Scarrick or his assistant. A heavily veiled lady, whom no one had hitherto noticed, rose languidly from a seat and greeted him in a clear, penetrating voice. "'Your Excellency does his shopping himself?' she said. "'I order the things myself,' he explained. "'I find it difficult to make my servants understand.' In a lower but still perfectly audible voice, the veiled lady gave him a piece of casual information. They have some excellent Jaffa oranges here. Then, with a tinkling laugh, she passed out of the shop. The man glared all round the shop, and then, fixing his eyes instinctively on the barrier of biscuit tins, demanded loudly of the grocer, You have perhaps some good Jaffa oranges? 
everyone expected an instant denial on the part of Mr. Scarrick of any such possession. Before he could answer, however, the boy had broken forth from his sanctuary. Holding his empty brass bowl before him, he passed out into the street. His face was variously described afterwards as masked with studied indifference, overspread with ghastly pallor, and blazing with defiance. Some said that his teeth chattered, others that he went out whistling the Persian national hymn. There was no mistaking, however, the effect produced by the encounter on the man who had seemed to force it. If a rabid dog or a rattlesnake had suddenly thrust its companionship on him, he could scarcely have displayed a greater access of terror. His air of authority and assertiveness had gone, his masterful stride had given way to a furtive pacing to and fro, as of an animal seeking an outlet for escape. In a dazed, perfunctory manner, always with his eyes turning to watch the shop entrance, he gave a few random orders which the grocer made a show of entering in his book. Now and then he walked out into the street, looked anxiously in all directions, and hurried back to keep up his pretense of shopping. From one of these sorties he did not return. He had dashed away into the dusk, and neither he nor the dark-faced boy nor the veiled lady were seen again by the expectant crowds that continued to throng the Scarrick establishment for days to come. "'I can never thank you and your sister sufficiently,' said the grocer. "'We enjoyed the fun of it,' said the artist modestly. And, as for the model, it was a welcome variation on posing for hours for the lost Hylas. At any rate, said the grocer, I insist on paying for the hire of the black beard. Mm -hmm.